Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kaya. My name is Brayden Best. I'm a member here. Um, And as you'll notice, I am not Brandon. Okay, so Brandon is our pastor. He's the uh, pastor of the College and Young Adult Ministry. And so uh, if you're here, if you're relatively new or this is your first time, uh, welcome. Uh, I'd like to invite you back next week so that you can hear from my pastor uh, and hear what the Word of God is showing us as a class out of 1 Corinthians. Um, it's been super good. 1 Corinthians is awesome. Uh, you can be turning in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, like Harrison said, we just sang this, so it should be familiar. You probably all have it memorized by this point. That's very exciting. So this is Midtown Baptist Temple, and uh, I happen to be up here, which... which This morning makes me a Baptist preacher. Given that I am a Baptist preacher, uh, I would like to tell you all uh, to give a round of applause for my incredible wife, Sophie. As is tradition among Baptist preachers, my wife is super hot. There you go. David Govan, that was for you. And so you can tell how good a Baptist preacher is by how hot they think their wife is. Anyways, so um, how did I end up here? Uh, so um, over New Year, over Christmas break, uh, I went to uh, Nairobi, Kenya with David Gelvin. And we went to just be a part of what God is doing at the church plant there. Um, and it was an incredible, fruitful time. And so I, I came home from Nairobi, and I was just praying through, um, you know, God, are you calling me to go to Nairobi for a little bit? I, I'm by no means ready to be a pastor, um, but they need someone there to be a leader. Uh, you know, and I was praying, God, would you have me be a Band-Aid um, until the pastor of Living Faith Nairobi is raised up? You know, are you calling me to... Nairobi. And, and as I was praying through that, you know, I messaged Brandon, and God gave me this verse, 2 Peter 1.10, which says, Wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do the, these things, ye shall never fall. So I was asking Brandon, you know, what do you think about that? Am I crazy? And he said, well, um, he was polite enough not to call me crazy to my face. Um, but what he said was, he asked me a couple questions, one of them being, are you making full proof of your ministry here? Uh, no. No, I was not making full proof of my ministry here. And so as I was praying through how to make full proof of my ministry here, how to make my calling sure, like it says in Second Peter chapter 1, this is what I was studying through, and Brandon said, uh, you know, can you preach for me, whatever God's showing you? Um, and so, uh, again, we're going to be reading through these verses in 2 Peter 1. Noah did the slides. He did an incredible job. Um, yeah, so let's real quick read 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. Um, and we're going to be mainly focusing on verses 3 through 10, but let's read the whole thing 
for a little bit of context. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So, I just crushed my fourth cup of coffee. My armpits are sweating. Are we ready to go? All right, I'm going to pray and let's get into it. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that it is complete, it is authoritative, and, and God, it's enough. Um. And so, Lord, would you please communicate to us this morning this process of sanctification that we need to submit ourselves to? And God, would you work in us to, to lay aside the barriers that are keeping us from following you rightly? Um, please speak, Lord. We need you. Uh, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I want to start off with, with a question, and I, and I think this question um, is important because it in part determines everything that we do both as Christians and as a collective as the local body in Midtown Baptist Temple. And this, this critical question is this, uh, what is the metric of success in the Christian life? How do we know that we're doing it right? How do we know that we're doing it wrong? What determines what we call success and failure as a church. For example, uh, we did the floss dance at family prayer night on Tuesday. Does that make us bad Christians, Sam Jr.? Does that make us bad Christians? Um, are we bad Christians because we don't prioritize humanitarian aid in our missions? Are we bad Christians for not digging wells and, and building schools? Does that make us bad Christians? How do we know what success is in the Christian life? I would posit that 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11, give us the answer to that. So, so moving on, my outline of 2 Peter 1 goes as follows. Verses 1 and 2 is Peter's introduction. Verses 3 and 4 is the work of the word. 5 through 7, the sequence of sanctification. 
Verses 8 through 10 are the, the consequences of sanctification or the consequences of failure thereof. Verse 11 describes a good judgment seat. Verses 12 through 15 are focused on putting into remembrance. And 16 through 21 on the authority of God's word. So what 2 Peter 1 communicates, that if we do all of the things in verses 5 through 7, we will land at verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in first service, Sam talked about the day that we are all going to stand before Jesus and give an answer for what we did in our lives. And then Jesus' response will be something along the lines of either, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or anything else. Okay, And this abundant entrance described in verse 11 is that well done, good and faithful servant that we need to get to. And the process to which we get to that is sanctification. But that starts with salvation. Okay, So let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, by the great and precious promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through Lust. So we have some great and precious promises that are laid out to us in Scripture. Like, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Promises like, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Promises like, he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay. Those are some great and precious promises. This book is a love letter from the God of the universe describing how, even though we were lost and broken in our sins and deserved hell as the just consequence of offending a perfect God. Okay, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ, that perfect God, came down, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved so that he could be the payment for my sin debt. That is a great and precious promise, okay? The gospel, as described in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, And this brings us to our first key point, and that is that Christianity starts at salvation. Okay? So we use Christianity fairly loosely to describe a generalized faith system in the United States constructed of many denominational outreaches and lots of doctrinal differences building together to American evangelicalism, which is maybe a political party? Uh, Is it a religion? What is it? And so we've lost the definition of Christianity in our modern culture. Okay, Christianity is not being a middle-aged white person from Ohio. A Christian is a person who has believed on Jesus Christ for the payment of their sins. And if that is not you this morning, 
If you have not yet called on the name of the Lord to save you, then I'd invite you to do that. But don't, don't call yourself a Christian if you haven't. Because Christianity starts at salvation. Right? And when we look at this process in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the first thing that must be there is faith. Okay? And it's with giving all diligence that we add to our faith all the rest of the things we sang about in the song. Okay? So let's talk about that faith really quickly. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because salvation doesn't come by any of your efforts. It's not about being a good person. Okay? It's not digging wells that gets us to heaven. It's not building schools. It is faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. It is the gift of God. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I mentioned it before, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the beginning of this process of sanctification that leads us to a good judgment seat, which is the metric of success for the Christian life, is Faith. It is a very simple thing, not complex. Believe what God says in his word about Jesus Christ, and then move forward from there. Okay? So, our critical question this leads us to is this. Have I believed in Jesus Christ to save me from my sins? Have I done that? If you have done that, the next process is the process of sanctification, okay? And this is the rest of the things that we are told to add in verses 5 through 7, all right? And sanctification, uh, I think sanctification is a lot like chess, okay? So, so uh, audience participation time, raise your hand if you know what the rules of the game of chess are. If you know how all the pieces move, like you could like stand before a chessboard and not break the rules and get disqualified. Okay, so like a third of us. Okay, raise your hand if you know what the chess rating ELO system is. Okay, very few nerds in the room. Okay, raise your hand if you know what your own personal rating is. Very bad. Uh, in, in some more unfortunate news, I was playing a game of chess yesterday on chess.com, and I saw that my rating was 666. <laughs> I need to win or lose a game ASAP. <laughs> All right. So uh, last weekend, the Tata Steel chess tournament concluded. It's like the Wimbledon of chess, really big <laughs> international chess tournament. Yeah. Uh, the GOAT, Magnus Carlsen, uh, tied for second, which was wild. Uh, he's still the GOAT, though. Um, but, you know, ch grand chess grandmasters play the game very differently than, like, any of us in this room would play the game, okay? And what's cool about the way that grandmasters play chess is, is they're really playing chess at two places at the same time, right? They're, they're playing the game on the board in front of them, 
but they also see the way that game's going to end up 40, 50, 60 moves from now, right? So, so they're playing chess in two places at the same time, Once, one place in the board and one place in their mind. In their mind, they're always focused on the end game. It is always about getting to a good position in the end game so that you have the best opportunity to uh, checkmate or not get checkmated, right? Sanctification is the same way. We are operating in our current position in space-time, 2023, in Kansas City, but we need to have a vision for the judgment seat of Christ that's coming for us. And how can we progress through our lives in order to be at the best position possible when we stand before Jesus to give an account? Okay. And so the first thing that 2 Peter tells us to do is giving all diligence add to our faith. All right, so, so let's take a peek at the word diligence. A couple of key references on diligence. Luke 15, 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Okay, Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 2 Peter 1.5, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. 2 Peter 1.10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Jude 3, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you. You should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So, so diligence, we can make a, a functional definition of diligence being uh, working hard with intensity and focus, endeavoring, giving effort, moving forward without distraction. Okay? Diligence is like waking up one morning, one morning and suddenly finding that 10% of your net worth had vanished and you had to go find it, right? That woman who had 10 pieces of silver and she wakes up and, uh-oh, one of them's gone, Okay, if I woke up and found that three and a half dollars was missing, I'd search for it. Okay, 10% is more than three and a half dollars, but not by that much. Okay, so this brings us to our our key point that we're going to be moving forward from, and that is that sanctification requires diligence. It's not going to just happen. Okay. We don't just arrive at Christian maturity. We don't just land there. It's not an accident. Okay. Sophie Best loves me. It's awesome. Okay. That didn't happen by accident. I saw her and I was like, dang, she fine. I need to win her heart. And so I spent... Either two years or an eternity. I don't know which one. But I spent that amount of time pursuing her to try to win her heart. Because I was not okay with Sophie marrying anyone else. Okay? So I was diligent in my pursuit of her. And we ought to have the same diligence and intensity and fervor toward our sanctification. A distracted believer is not a sanctified believer. A lazy believer is not a sanctified believer. This process has never been passive. You're never going to end up sanctified. 
So, so wherever we find ourselves in this list of 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, right? Moving forward, obedience to the word of God demands that we are diligent in pursuit of whatever that next thing is. Okay? Because the goal, as we read earlier and we're going to get to in a little bit, is that they be in us and abound in verse 8. So, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness and charity. Verse 8. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to a couple of points on this list, but, but just take a moment and consider virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. Consider where you're at on that list. So, each of these behaviors can be lived out temporarily in the believer when they are walking in the Spirit, right? When we walk in the Spirit, we will exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, which look like living out these things when we're obedient to the Lord. But it doesn't just say that these things would be in you, in verse 8. It says, for if these things be in you and abound. So, so we're, we're not saying Success as a Christian is every once in a while walking in the Spirit and, oh, yeah, I was patient yesterday. Ha <laughs> ha. Got it. Do I have abounding patience? Is my life characterized by these attributes would be the question that, that we could ask this. Okay. And again, that, that critical question of where am I in the process of sanctification. All right. So the first proof is that... Uh, the, the first proof that these things be in you and abound is that they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. So let's look at barrenness real quick. Barren, really easy Bible definition. You go to first mention and it just defines itself for you. But Sarai was barren for she had no child. Okay? Barrenness is the lack of offspring. So if we're going to be not barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that means that we will have offspring in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means we will lead other people to come to know Jesus as their Lord. Okay. So, if evangelism is not a regular part of your life, then these things are not in you and abounding. If I'm not sharing the gospel so that I can have offspring, so that I be not barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, how can I claim that I'm sanctified? Okay. The next thing is unfruitful. And unfruitful is is kind of interesting. Um, Let's look at a couple of key references of unfruitful. Matthew 13, 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitful of deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Mark 4.19, right? This is Mark's um, telling of the same parable. 
cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it become unfruitful. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Okay, so we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 14 here in a couple of weeks, and you'll want to be here for that. But the long and short of this is that the prayer needs to have the fruit of understanding. And, and if the prayer is not understood by the prayerer, then it's going to be unfruitful. Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So the works have an end result, but it's a negative result. It's not the desired effect of works in a Christian life. Titus 3.14, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. Which is the most fortune cookie-like verse in the entire Bible. Right? Learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. I've gotten that from Panda Express, guys. <laughs> Second Peter 1.8, here we are. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The desired effect, sanctification, and profitability is there. Okay. Now, what this also tells us is that the process of sanctification will have evidences in our life. Okay. Sanctification will bear fruit out in our lives. And so, if there's no fruit, there's no sanctification. And this brings us to our next key point, that is, fruit proves sanctification. So you can take stock of your life. If you look at this list given out in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7, and you can't necessarily point to a specific place within yourself to see where you are in the maturing process of the believer, then look at the fruits of your life. Look at the fruits of your life. They will prove out your sanctification. Okay? So what, what if we ignore it? What if we don't? What, what, are the, what are the negative consequences of choosing not to continue to, to grow in how we follow Jesus Christ? What happens if we decide to serve self? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Okay, blindness has two applications here. We look at the grammar. Blind, comma, and cannot see afar off, comma, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. This is one idea with two expressions. So let's start with looking at blindness in terms of cannot see afar off. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This is how Mark Trotter used to say it. He'd say, if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to get there. All right? So, let's see what direction am I facing. Um, if I just kept walking this way for a long time, I would end up in the Atlantic Ocean. Okay? And so, the same way, 
if we ignore sanctification and keep moving in the direction we're moving, led by our own carnal desires, we will land at the natural consequences of those carnal desires. Okay. And how does that work out for us? It doesn't work out well, because he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Okay, this is what Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. All right, so, so you guys remember last year when all the news was like, oh my goodness, Russia is lining up like a ton of troops on the border of Ukraine. You guys remember that? That was wild. That was kind of a scary time. Okay. Russia invaded. Okay. So, those who had access to the means of escape, if they were prudent, got out of there before their country got invaded. And those with the access to resources to escape and didn't, that was probably foolish. That was probably a simple choice, not a prudent choice. Okay? So, so blindness in the terms of the inability to see afar off. The believer who is blind cannot see that the way they are heading is a path leading to a horrific day at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul calls it the terror of the Lord. And if we are blind and do not get sanctified and keep moving, because we're convinced that right now there's no problems, so because there's, because there's no problems right now, that means there's not going to be any problems, only leads to standing before Jesus and him saying, ah, man, I wish I could have used you to do more. I had a plan for you. You kept your eyes shut. Okay? Another, another little bit more silly of an illustration um, the American diet and lifestyle, okay? Uh, we are, man, you want to talk about topping the charts, best in the world, undefeated. Uh, we are the most obese, diabetic nation on the planet. World champs, okay? And we don't see that our self-serving, lazy, gluttonous, reveling sowing will result in nothing less than high blood pressure, diabetes, Hypercholesterolemia. Like, you know, probably this chunk of people, in terms of the proportion of the mass population, right, will all die from heart attacks and strokes. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but I still go to Taco Bell like every week because I love it. Because that five layer burrito with a little Diablo sauce. Mmm! It just hits the spot, man. I'm blind and cannot see afar off in terms of the consequences of my Taco Bell habit. Okay? I'm not saying that you guys are all going to die from heart attacks and strokes. It's just proportionally statistics. <laughs> the next aspect of blindness is he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Okay, so when Christ's blood was shed on Calvary, that blood washed us clean from our sins and, and set us free 
from the slavery that we were in to the world, the devil, and our flesh. Okay. Do, do you remember what it was like being lost? Do you remember what it was like before you had the Holy Ghost? Do you remember the loneliness, the isolation, the self-hatred, the inability to do anything right? Do you remember laying up at night knowing in your heart that no matter what I do, I cannot seem to match even my own moral system that I've set up with best possible odds for success? You had no choice but to sin. But then Christ made us free, and it cost him everything. We, we brutally tortured God himself. We pierced him. We whipped him. We mocked him. We nailed him to a tree and hung him up in shame. And we still choose to, to walk in sin? We've forgotten that we were purged. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're purged from your old sins if you're a believer. Do you remember the joy of salvation? Do you remember the sweet fellowship with Jesus? Remember what it was like when you had a good quiet time and you got to meet with God? Do you remember that? But we're blind. We cannot see afar off. We've forgotten that we are purged from our old sins. It reminds me of that great east wind that, that separated and, and pushed the Red Sea apart and there were walls of water and the nation of Israel walked through and God's grace was holding back that sea from destroying them. And likewise, we as believers are, are walking through this incredible channel of grace just, just blind doing whatever we want. And God's grace is holding back the judgment that we deserve. And we're just like, man, yeah. I'll continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. Our key point here is remember what Christ has done and open your eyes. Remember what it cost him. And let's move forward in faith. Let's move forward growing, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? That looks like diligently living out the process of sanctification. So now let's go back to chapter 5. And let's talk about a few of the specifics on this list. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue. A couple of key mentions for the word virtue. Mark 5, 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Right? Jesus has just healed someone. 
but, but that person was healed just because, you know, giant, giant crowd of people and, and this lady just reached out and touched the, the corner of his garment and she was healed, right? Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. 2 Peter 1, 3, back in the introduction of this chapter. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So we can have a working definition of the word virtue, meaning strength, valor, power. So if we're supposed to add to our faith virtue... That means that once we have believed on Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, we must then progress into the question of lordship, strengthening our faith to the point where it works out and bears fruit in our life. Okay? James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says, But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay? So, um, I think we probably all know people who, who need to read this verse. Right? We've all got that, that cousin or, or that friend who just really needs to make use of the mirrors in their life. Right? That used to be me. Brandon, when he was preaching the middle school class, probably told me to use a mirror a little more frequently. Okay, so this brings us to the critical question, is my faith strong enough to produce obedience? Is, have I added virtue to my faith? Is the fruit and the evidence of my life such that communicates that I obey God when he tells me to do stuff? Because I have added to my faith virtue. Because I believe him. we got to settle the lordship question. Whatever, wherever, whenever, with whomever God says, will you say, yes, Lord? Because that's what Lord means. Has your belief in Jesus Christ progressed to the point where you are no longer okay taking your salvation and living in sin, but you recognize what it cost him, and so, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And so, it's going to be scary, but I don't have to understand. Even if it doesn't make sense, I will obey you because you are my Lord. Okay? So... Let's break it down to the level of not being unfruitful. When the word of God communicates something that contrasts with your life, do you make an excuse or do you change? Because those are the only two possibilities. Is my faith strong enough to produce obedience? Full stop. No addendum, no excuse, no exception. Next thing we're supposed to add is knowledge. 
And it's really critical that knowledge doesn't get added before virtue. There is no reason why God should teach you more of his word if you've already decided in your heart that you're not going to obey it. God has no reason to do that. A couple of verses for knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Okay? So, this is knowledge. This is truth. You want knowledge about how the universe works, about the nature of God, about your own nature, about everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, verse 3? This is where you turn. This has all the answers. This is all the answers to every question that matters. Okay? I could tell you about the function of statins, HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, to decrease your cholesterol. And that's not going to help any of your real problems. It's just not. <laughs> right? I could tell you all of the rules for combat and initiative in D&D. <laughs> and that's not going to help your life problems. That's not going to sort out your relationship issues. That's not going to give you peace. This knowledge will give you peace. And we must grow in the knowledge of our Lord. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the 2 Peter 1.3 that we read earlier. Okay, but, but 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Okay, God's acceptance of me is based on the work of Jesus Christ at the cross 2,000 years ago. I am a child of God, not because of anything that I did, but because of what Jesus did. But the word's not accepted, the word's approved. Do you want God to approve of your life? <laughs> like, like do, you want, do you want God to look at your life and say, that's a good life? God's approval is conditional on how we study his book. We sang the song this morning, right? I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God cares about this book more than he cares about how we identify him. This is more magnified than the name Jehovah. Okay, but like we skip our quiet time because we want to sleep in because we're tired. Come on, guys. If we're going to be diligent, if we are going to be diligent, not, not, not you, not you, not you, not you, okay, everyone individually, myself included, if we want to be approved of God and have the fruits of diligence, we must study his word. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth. Sell it not. What's truth going for these days? $40 for Amen, brother. 
Thank you, Michael Black. Truth's going for $40 a credit hour. You're too late to get on the spring courses, but the summer schedule for LFBI has been posted. Self-paced. Man, praise the Lord, saints. Are we diligent to study the Bible? Are we diligent to have a quiet time? To be faithful to Bible study? To memorize our verses for discipleship? To, to pay attention to Foundations 2 and 3? To do our LFBI well? Are we diligent? And again, these things should bear fruit, right? That you neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can think you're being diligent. But if you failed intro to biblical counseling and dispensational and systematic theology, can you call yourself diligent? I can't because I failed those two classes. <laughs> but I retook, I retook intro to biblical counseling. I passed that one. I got I to retake systematic and dispensational. Man, key point, God's word deserves my diligent study. God's word deserves it because it's so important to God because this is how we can know him. You can't know God based on your feelings. Your heart's a liar. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You can't know it. But you can know the character of Jesus Christ through his word. Man, it deserves our diligent study. But I do, I do want to point out that this list doesn't end with knowledge. This list doesn't end with knowledge. It's actually really early in the list of sanctification here in 2 Peter chapter 1. The metric of success is a good judgment seat, which is not walking across the stage and shaking Alan's hand in his weird doctoral robe thing. You're going to be accountable to God for how you steward what he's given you in your quiet time, discipleship, Foundations 2 and 3, and LFBI. They are not ends unto themselves, though. The point's not knowledge. The point's not knowledge. Your intimacy with Jesus Christ through his word is, is more important than your grades in LFBI. And, a, and if LFBI is a tool that you are using to, to be approved in, in Brandon's eyes, or your disciples' eyes, or your Bible study leader's eyes, or, or Sam, or Alan, um, if you're doing it to honor the legacy of Mark Trotter, Ah, you missed the point. You missed the point. LFBI is an incredible tool, and we should use it well. We are super blessed to have it. Um, but if it's about the grades, not about the God, you messed up. You messed up. The next thing on this list, and the last thing we're going to talk about um, this uh, afternoon now, is temperance. Okay? Add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. Temperance is really interesting. And actually, this is where 
uh, the Holy Spirit prodded me, you know, when I was studying out this, asking God, are you calling me to, to Nairobi for, for a season? And Brandon said, are you making full proof of your ministry? And the honest answer was no. And I was studying out this passage, and I got to temperance, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, what's up? Right here. Right. This is the thing that, that I have been endeavoring to grow at. And, you know, a few of you in here have known me for a really, really long time. And you'll know that uh, temperance in this capacity is not a strength of mine. Okay? I'm good at some kinds of temperance, but I'm naturally bad at a lot of other kinds of temperance. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my dad would always, always tell me this. He would say, don't get so excited that you forget yourself. Do you ever hear that, Joe? Yeah. Don't get so excited that you forget yourself. I heard it all the time. Jonathan's more temperate than me. Because I'd go out and I'd be doing whatever we as the group were doing, and I'd get so excited that I would just basically go insane. And I, would, I was the kid who would just like sprint into a wall to see how far I'd bounce off of it, you know? Like the, the light, so, so Kid Town has been renovated many times, and it's excellent now. Um, but there used to be this free-hanging light, and it was this big fluorescent light. And, uh, you know, we'd get a dodgeball in there. And, and, you know, me and Austin Hardiman, I think we broke that light five times. I think we shattered that light bulb five times. Okay, temperance is not a strength of mine. The first mention of the full word temperance is found in Acts 24, verses 24 through 26. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. And so interestingly, temperance is used here as the proxy for the entirety of the Christian walk, which starts at salvation being righteousness and ends at the judgment seat of Christ being the judgment to come. And the whole middle section there, Paul describes as temperance. And Felix trembles, but does not respond due to a love of money. Do you guys see that? Love of money keeps Felix from responding to the call to salvation and then temperance. First mention of any form of the word temper comes in Exodus chapter 29, verses 1 through 3. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them, or to make them holy, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread and cakes unleavened tempered with oil. And wafers unleavened anointed with oil of wheat and flour shalt thou make them. Thou shalt put them into one basket and bring them in the basket with the bullock and the two rams. Tempered here means thoroughly mixed, well balanced. There's no bits of wheat that are too far from the oil that they were tempered with. Okay? Tempered steel is steel that is folded onto itself again and again and again to increase its strength. Is it 12.05 already? 
oh my gosh. I had Sophie set an alarm for me for 12.05. That was me. That was me. That's me. Oh man, we got a cruise. Okay. So, this idea of being thoroughly mixed, well balanced. Temperance is steady, self-controlled, voluntary restraint. Voluntary restraint. Philippians 4.5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25-27 through 27 says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Okay? So, when I was in college, I wrestled up through my sophomore year at the University of Central Missouri. And that sophomore year, I started out preseason at 220 pounds. And two months later, I made weight at 184 pounds. Okay? So, that was miserable. I was dreaming about food literally every night. Okay? I was temperate in everything that I ate because I knew exactly how many sprints I would have to do if I didn't make weight. And this I did for a coach that I did not particularly like. But I was temperate in all things concerning my wrestling you know, habits and my diet and, and stretching and going to the trainers and rehabbing through injuries and, because I had a goal. I wanted to be All-American. Instead, I got a concussion. But I was temperate to pursue a goal. And I did not make excuses because the excuses would make themselves out on the scale when I weighed in. And there was a judgment seat coming, and it was called weigh-ins. And so there's no room for excuses because there was evidence. So this brings us to our critical question, which is, have I made excuse for intemperance? When, when we were in Nairobi, we went to a big bazaar near one of the slums called Toy toy market. And um, I spent $250 on fake Jordans. I bought five pair of fake Jordans. These among them. Okay. The guy I was with, his name's Ken. He's a faithful man, part of the church plant down there. He makes $20 a week. I just threw down 250 bucks on fake Jordans. Okay? And I had liberty. I was within my rights. My house had just set fire right before we left, and so all of my stuff, we weren't exactly certain how much of our stuff would have been able to get out and avoiding the smoke damage. All of my, uh, you know, almost all of my other shoes were still in boxes with the salvage company, and I was down like nine-tenths of my shoe collection. Like, come on, of course I'm going to buy some fake Jordans. I made an excuse. Man, do we give the flesh what it wants so long as we can excuse it as in the bounds of liberty? Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. 
Sin is still sin, even if it's socially acceptable. Um, you know, so, so as we're wrapping up here, um, the call for me out of Second Peter chapter 1 was that the evidences of my life ought to be temperance. Um, that I needed to grow in voluntary restraint. And, and sometimes I need to not give my flesh something, even if, with, if it's in the bounds of what I can, just because my flesh wants it. Sometimes that's a good enough reason to say no. And, and I think, you know, going back to what we talked about in what is Christianity today, I think we've forgotten this. Um, I think we've forgotten that gluttony is a sin. And I need to not give my flesh things just because my flesh wants them. Right? And here's our last key point. My flesh has no rights. I don't know it anything. We can't afford to be caught up in any sensation or situation such that we lose the mindset of voluntary restraint and submission to the lifestyle that Jesus Christ led. Because Jesus had all the rights and he did not exercise them to win himself us. And so coming back, you know, worship team, you guys can, can go ahead and come up um, and, and we're going to wrap up. Um, but but I, what I... You know, if I could leave you with one takeaway, it would be that none of this happens by accident. You do not grow in faith. You do not get sanctified by accident. It requires diligence. So, so you know, the last, the last thing is if we do not engage in sanctification and diligence, man, we're blind and we cannot see afar off. And we've forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. Um, and so whatever decision you need to make, if you see yourself, you know, I need to grow in this particular area of sanctification and that needs, I need to work diligently towards growing that area. Or if you do not know that if you were to die, you would spend eternity with Jesus Christ based on his sacrifice for your sins, then, then, you know, come forward during worship. We're going to have some counselors up at the front. Um, but yeah, I love you guys. Um. Let's follow Jesus Christ with diligence. Yeah. All right. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, God, thank you for your word and its sufficiency. Uh, Lord, would you help us to grow in diligence as we follow you? Um, Lord, would you help us to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and the temperance patience, and, and the rest of the list. God, would you help us to be conformed to the image of Christ? Um, Lord, we love you. Please dismiss us with your blessing. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.